Good morning, brothers and sisters, regular visitors and guests. Welcome to church this morning. And also welcome to those of you who are joining us via the live stream. We're thankful and we praise God, our trying God, that we can be together to worship him. It's our prayer that we'd all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel, that God would be glorified by our worship this morning. There are no announcements from the consistory. This morning, the worship service will be led by Brother Dathan Plater. Before we commence, let's sing from hymn 64, verse 1 and 2. brothers and sisters, please rise and let us worship the Lord together. At the very outset of our worship, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. And God greets you this morning, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Let us continue our worship and let us praise God for the blessing of being able to worship him with the words of Psalm 84 verses 1 and 6. We now humble ourselves under the ten words of God's covenant law and we test our lives upon it as a perfect mirror, a mirror into which we see our sins and our weaknesses. So here now the ten words of God's covenant. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day 
to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea and all that, he, that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And our Lord Jesus Christ summarized the law in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's now sing in response to God's law. Psalm 32 verse 4. Where God promises to teach us in his ways and in his commandments. So Psalm 32 verse 4. Now pray to God and ask for his blessing on this worship service. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, it is such a gift that you give to us that we can worship you, that we can come into your presence and praise you and sing your glory, for you are a glorious king. You are worthy of praise. Lord, if we think of ourselves, often our desire for praise is not because we are worthy. Often it's because of our ego, our, our pride. It's because we overestimate our character. Or it's because of personal insecurities that we might have where we, where we seek praise and approval from others. 
But Lord, this is just not the case with you. You are a God who is worthy of praise. You are a God who is worthy of our affection, is worthy of our devotion, and, and worthy of our worship. You deserve it. You deserve our unwavering allegiance. Lord, you are a compassionate God, a merciful and a gracious God, slow to anger and, and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. And Lord, we see your mercy. We see your love in the history of redemption where we see a people who are so unworthy of your love and yet you shower it upon them and you redeem them and you deliver them and you save them and you save them from their sin. We see this supremely in our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, we come as a blood-bought people. We gather as a people who receive the promises of baptism where Christ promises to wash us and to cleanse us from our sin. And so, Lord, you are so worthy of praise. And we are unworthy. Lord, often we, we are unworthy of your, your steadfast love and your affection. We, we love you, but our love and our worship is divided. It's shared with other things that cannot even compare to you. Lord, we look into our own lives and we see idols. We see things that we worship and trust apart from you. We trust ourselves we trust our possessions, our finances. We trust our reputation. We trust and we worship. Maybe it's pleasure or work or any other thing. And Father, we confess that sometimes it's hard, even as we come to church, we sang just together, your holy courts I yearn to see, faint with desire I long to be. And our consciences accuse us because that's not always us. Lord, we know that, you, that, that our hearts should desire you. We know that we, we long for you, but it's not always there. It's often for other things. And so, Lord, please forgive us. Please forgive us of our idolatry. Forgive us of loving what is unworthy of our devotion and of our worship. And please wash us by the blood of our Savior. Give us his perfect love, his perfect devotion, and his perfect worship. And so, Lord, as we come before you this morning, we ask that you would bless us. For Lord, you have the words of eternal life, and so we pray that you would take that life-giving word and that you would transform our hearts by it, by the reading and the preaching. Lord, may your glory shine forth despite the vessel of clay and dirt that is delivering it, and may we forget the channel and see only you. Lord, please be with us, we pray, and hear us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this morning, it's my intention to preach the, the last chapter of Genesis, Genesis 50, where we come to the end of our, our series on Joseph and the story of Jacob's family. And so in connection with our text, which will be the verses 15 through 21, we'll read the whole passage of Genesis 50, and then also we'll read together from uh, Romans, Romans 8. So Genesis 50, Jacob has just died. And in verse 1, the passage continues, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father so that the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for this, that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. 
And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the, flesh, the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mitzrayim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him, and he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abram bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. And then the following verses will be our text. Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that his father was dead, They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's household, Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So far from the Old Testament, let us now turn to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we'll read the verses 31 through 39. So Romans, 1, uh, Romans 8, verse 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ, shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So far from God's word, may he bless it to our lives. And in response to God's word, we'll sing from Psalm 119, verses 11, 12, and 19.
So as I mentioned, the text for this morning is the verses 15 through 21 of chapter 50. And so I'll read those words again with you. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as it is today. So do not fear, I'll provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So far, the reading of God's word in response to the proclamation of the gospel will sing from hymn 65 verses 1 through 4. Beloved brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most powerful things that God does for his people is he works reconciliation and he works forgiveness. And he does so in the midst of much brokenness and he does so in the midst of of much sin. You see, our sinfulness, it leads to the destruction of relationship. We think of conflict in relationship, there's shattered fellowship, Sometimes there's lasting hatred and even bitter resentment between brothers and sisters in the church or between families and family members. See, that's what sin does. But then God, he, he graciously, he works reconciliation. He works full and, and, and free forgiveness, bringing people who were completely at odds with one another, he brings them together. He brings them together as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a... A powerful thing that we can experience in this life. If you just think of a couple of of examples, you can think of maybe Christian business partners who have a falling out. Things get messy, there's, there's deep hurts. But then somehow, in God's grace, God brings them together. They're able to see each other as brothers. They're able to walk past each other and acknowledge each other and see each other as brothers. Or you can think maybe of the home environment, you have siblings, you know, siblings get after each other after a while, and maybe there's deep hurts there. And then there's forgiveness, and they're able to play with each other, they're able to be with each other, they're able to laugh and, and love each other again. It's a beautiful thing. Or you can think of, a, of maybe family conflict. You have situations where there's deep resentment, there's, there's, bitter, there's bitterness, And then God slowly breaks that and he brings them together and he works reconciliation so that things aren't just tolerable, so that things aren't just amicable, but they're actually, they're pleasant, there's harmony, there's unity. You see, it's a wonderful thing and it doesn't matter if you're four years old or if you're 40 or even if you're 60 or whatever age, full and free forgiveness is a beautiful thing that we all cherish. If we experience it, we cherish it. And if we haven't experienced it, maybe it's something that we desire and even long for. 
And so this morning we have our last sermon on Joseph and the story of Joseph. After all that's happened, we see that the family are in Egypt. They're actually doing very well. They're prospering. They're all together. They're flourishing. Even when we look back at at Jacob's death, Jacob died and all of his sons were there. And yet, not everything is resolved. And so as the book of Genesis draws, uh, draws to a close, we once again, we look at the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. And in our text, we see God bringing about that full and free forgiveness. It's a forgiveness that pictures the free and full forgiveness of Jesus Christ that God gives to us in him. And so that brings us to our theme this morning. Despite his people's sinfulness, God works free and full forgiveness. And we'll look at two things, giving this forgiveness and second, believing this forgiveness. Now at face value, Genesis 50 seems like kind of a strange end. End to Genesis. If you think of how gripping all the different stories of Genesis are, you you end Genesis and it seems almost anticlimactic. Seems somewhat over, uh, well, underwhelming. But then when we, if you consider the overall book, and if you consider even the story of Joseph in particular, it makes a lot of sense. So Genesis 50, it deals with two key themes. The first theme is the theme of God's faithfulness, and his faithfulness to his promises. That's something that we explored last week together, as we paid attention to jo- uh, Jacob's burial, and also Joseph's burial. We saw how in Jacob's death and his burial, there God was testifying about his faithfulness and how he was, he was going to keep his promises. How he would bring Israel to that eternal home in the promised land. That was the, that's the first big theme of this passage. But then the second one is brothers, uh, brother conflict, sibling conflict and hostility. And that's something that's been already introduced right at the beginning of Genesis. Think of Genesis 4, you have Cain and Abel. Cain, out of hatred and hostility against his brother, he kills his brother in cold blood. And then it reappears a bunch of times. We see it especially with Esau and Jacob. So Jacob stole Esau's birthright. Esau was spewing, he was mad, and he he tries to kill Jacob. There's much conflict. And then, of course, we saw it right at the beginning of the series with Joseph. That's what propelled the story. You had the brothers who hated Joseph. They hated him. They hated him for his words. They hated him for his dreams. And so they tried to destroy him. And they got rid of him. They sold him. It was all because of their hatred. That's how things started. And so we see it at the beginning of the story. And now we see it right at the end in Genesis 50. Verse 15, here we have the brothers. They say, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So you can imagine the brothers, they're walking to Canaan, holding the the coffin, being the pallbearers. You can imagine them looking around. They they see the chariots, they see the, the, the horsemen, they see Joseph's pomp, his splendor, his power. And they think to themselves, Jacob's dead. Now what's going to happen? Joseph has all the power. What's going to happen to us now? You see, the brothers are still gripped with fear. They are worried that Joseph is going to respond just like Esau responded to Jacob when their father died. 
So in that time, so uh, Isaac died, and Esau was going to kill Jacob right after the burial. It says in Genesis 27, verse 41, we read that Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my fathers are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Esau held his breath. He waited for all the formalities of the funeral, and that's when he was going to kill afterwards. He was going to kill his brother. And so now the brothers are sitting there. Jacob's dead. He's been buried. And they're wondering if Joseph is going to do the exact same thing. Wait till the funeral is done and then get his revenge. And what we see is that behind the fear, there is this recognition of the the horrible evil that they committed. We see that the cries of their brother in the pit so long ago is still haunting them. They recognize that they should be punished. They realize that they deserve it. You see it in the word pay back. So that's a, a word that means to get return on your investment. So they invest evil, and they're saying, we're going to get a return of evil as a result. The evil you commit, it's going to return on your own head. And so in these words, they acknowledge that they deserve condemnation, that they deserve punishment. And so if Joseph did retaliate while they had it coming, And so it's that fear that drives them to act. And they, in desperation, they they appeal to Jacob's love for, uh, for Joseph's love for Jacob. So they say, they, they make up this command. Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive us. So they ask it not once, but twice. Please forgive us of the transgressions of your brothers and sins because they did evil. And now please forgive the transgressions of your servants the God of your father. So here, indirectly, they're making their confession to Joseph. They're confessing to him, and they're asking for forgiveness. We've sinned against you, they say. We have committed transgression. Now please, please forgive us. Please forgive us. And the amazing thing is that Joseph does. He says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph forgave them. He already forgave them, but he forgives them again. Do not fear. What you did was evil, but I forgive you. Now, congregation, how could Joseph say that? We've asked this question before, but we have to ask it again. After all that Joseph's been through, how could he forgive them? And notice there's only one reason for this. Joseph was able to forgive his brothers because he knew God. See, the other theme that comes through this passage is God's providence. He knew that God was sovereign. He knew that God was sovereign over all things. This wasn't something that, just, that he knew right from the beginning, but he looks back over his life and he saw the hand of God. He understood that God was in control and that what he was experiencing, it wasn't just chance, it wasn't simply the evil of the brothers, although it was that. It was the hand of God. He already said that in chapter 45, verse 5. He says, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me, For God sent me. He looks, he looks at his life, and he doesn't simply see the hand of his brothers, but he sees the hand of his almighty father. And so he knew that God was sovereign. 
But more than that, you knew that God was good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He saw that God was using the evil for good. He, he saw that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Joseph had come to realize that, that God's goodness was at work in his suffering, that God's goodness was at work in all those situations that he was in. He saw that God used the evil of the brothers to bring about his plan of redemption, a plan to not only save the people of Israel, of Jacob's family, but also to save many more, to preserve life. As he says, he says that many should be kept alive as they are to this day. Or in Genesis 45 verse 5, he says, For God sent me before you to preserve life. And so he knew God to be a good God. He knew God was a God whose goodness surpassed the wickedness and the sinfulness that he experienced. And he knew that God didn't just intend him harm and didn't intend to hurt him unnecessarily but rather that his purposes in and through everything were good. That's how he was able to forgive his brothers because he saw the hand of God. He knew who God was. He knew who God is. You see, brothers and sisters, for us, sometimes it's very difficult to forgive our brother or our sister. But one of the key ways in which we are able, one of the key ways that the Spirit works in us so that we're able to forgive each other is when we know who God is. Spirit teaches us who our Heavenly Father is, and this is supremely so for us. So Joseph knew God, but think of the God we know. Joseph didn't know the Savior, Jesus Christ. He didn't know the work of Christ on the cross. And yet we see God's sovereignty, we see His goodness displayed in our Savior. Where God's people meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He brought it about that Christ died on the cross so that many, so that all of us would receive life. This is what Peter said in his, uh, his sermon on Acts, Acts well, sermon in Acts 2. 2 verse 23 to 24, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by, your lawless, men, by lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God sent his son. He sent his son so that he was killed, he was killed in our place, so that we might receive forgiveness. And so that we might receive that life in abundance. And so congregation, it's when we know that God. It's when our lives have been touched with the forgiveness from Him. And how He turned our sin. And He turned it into saving goodness. How He poured out His grace on us. That's how we're able to forgive others. It's when our hearts have been touched by His forgiveness. That we can touch others' hearts with forgiveness where we can extend that forgiveness to one another. It's when we know God. It's when we know Him and trust Him that we're able to forgive one another by the power of His Spirit. Now, as I mentioned, congregation, this wasn't the first time that the brothers had been forgiven by Joseph. He had done it before. In fact, 17 years ago, he did it. He forgave them. Remember that touching moment. You have 
that it was an all or nothing moment. Judah put himself forward as a substitute for his brother. He said, I will stand in my brother's place. I will stand in Benjamin's place. And Joseph was just overwhelmed. And he burst forth in tears and he says, I am Joseph. And then he speaks to them and he says, do not be afraid, do not be distressed. For you meant it for evil, but God has sent me here to preserve life. So please come, I will provide for you, I'll take care of you. I'll watch over you. You see, Joseph loved his brothers. He forgave them already. And yet, here in our text, their father dies. And what's their struggle? They struggle to believe that he had forgiven them. They struggle to believe that they had been truly forgiven by Joseph. They doubt that Joseph really cared for them, that Joseph really loved them. Why else would they say in verse 15, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for the evil that we did to him. It's because they didn't believe him. It's because they didn't believe that he forgave them and somehow they thought that he was still holding their sin against them. And so they said to one another, look, our father's dead, now what? What do you reckon? You think he's just being nice because our father was alive? Yeah, now what's, what is he going to do? What is he going to do now? And congregation, notice how they still felt this way after being cared for by Joseph for 17 years. For 17 years, their every need was provided for. For 17 years, they lived in the best land, the best part of the land, the land of Goshen. They were provided for their food. He gave it dependent on how many dependents they had. And he gave them great possessions. For 17 years, he cared for them. We read about that in Genesis 47. When you read Genesis 47, you see how the famine is gripping all of Egypt. And then we get a few verses about how Israel is doing, how Jacob's family is doing. Chapter 47, verse 27, it says, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied. So while the rest of the world was gripped with famine, here is Israel being cared for abundantly. And yet, the brothers still doubted. They said, does Joseph really love us? They still believed that somehow, Somehow, he still held their sin against him. Now, congregation, doesn't that sound familiar? Many of us here have been Christians for many years. God has been with us. He's provided for us. He's provided for us for our every need. Not only our physical needs, but our spiritual needs. He's there in our brokenness and our difficulties. We look back on our life and we see that. And then you think of his promises to us at baptism. uh, baptism. He says that I am your father. And he promises that I adopt you and I bring you into my family. And I will provide for you. Or I will use whatever evil happens for your benefit. Or think of what the son promises. He promises to wash us. To wash us uh, free from our sins. To cleanse us from our, 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 our sin. And then the Holy Spirit promises to cleanse us. So God, he promises to love and care for us. And then something happens to us. And what do we say? Well, does God really love me? 
Do you think somehow God is punishing me? You know, maybe you've committed a sin in your life. Maybe you've walked in repentance. You're walking with the Lord. And then something happens. And you think, does God really love me? Maybe he's still punishing me for this sin. And so somehow in your heart of hearts, you still believe that God is holding this sin against you. A congregation, notice how with the brothers, the restoration of their relationship, it didn't happen until the brothers were convinced that Joseph loved them. You see, reconciliation and and full forgiveness is not going to happen if one doubts that the other has forgiven them. You see, things are just going to be amicable. You know how sometimes it happens, people will just say, well, at least we don't hate each other anymore. We used to hate each other. But at least we don't, don't hate each other. And you see that with the brothers. The brothers try to keep themselves at a distance. They say to him, behold, we are your servants. And look what happens, congregation. Joseph weeps. He cries. He cries because he loved them. He cries because he doesn't want them to be his servants. He doesn't want them to stand at a distance. He doesn't want things to just be amicable between them. That there's just no hostility. He wants them to be his family. His brothers. And so he assures them of his love and of his full forgiveness. And he assures them by reminding them what God had done. He assures them by reminding about God's plan of redemption. And how he used their sin for good. And he assures them of his care and provision. We see that in verse 21. He says to them, So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, the brothers struggled to believe that they were forgiven. And Joseph calms their fears and he comforts their restless hearts with his love. And this is, as we've seen throughout this series, this is where Joseph, once again, is a beautiful picture of our Savior Jesus Christ. And he paints a full picture of the forgiveness that God gives to us and his assurance of his love for us in him. Joseph weeps because he loves his brothers. And congregation, God loves you. God didn't save you so that you could be at a distance so that things would just, at least they're not, at least we don't hate each other. He didn't save you so that you could, you could stand far off from him. No, he, he brought you into his family, into his household. He saved you so that you could be his child. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son who, so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. He sent his son to assure us of his love and to grant us his favor through the forgiveness in him. And yet our assurance goes further because notice how Joseph says, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? So what Joseph is saying, he's saying to them, I'm not God. I cannot, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not in a place to condemn you. And so Joseph could never say authoritatively in the same way, you know, You're forgiven and that's the final word. But Jesus can. God can. 
And this is where the assurance of our sin, the assurance of his forgiveness is so much greater. You see, God has punished Christ for our sins. He's forgiven us because of our Savior. And so if God has forgiven us, that's the final word. There is, as it says in Romans, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no further punishment that we're to receive. And so if something happens, if there's a hardship in our life, it's not a punishment from God. Because that punishment has already been taken by Christ. And so who can condemn you? Well, Satan will condemn you. Maybe your heart of hearts will condemn you. But God will not condemn you. As it says there in Romans 8, we read it together. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Christ died in our place. There is no condemnation. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, shall those things separate us from the love of God now? Well, of course not. Because the final word from God is there is no condemnation. They are forgiven. You are forgiven. So congregation, God loves you. And you can be assured of that. And he will provide for you. He'll provide for you and for your little ones. Notice too how, how Joseph, he spoke tenderly. He, it said that he comforted, it says there, thus he comforted them and spoke, spoke kindly to them. Literally that phrase means to speak to their hearts. And it comes back in Isaiah chapter 40. That prophecy of comfort. So God says to his people in Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all, for all her sins. You see, God is speaking tenderly to us this morning. He is comforting us, assuring us of his forgiveness in Christ. He's showing us that our iniquity has been pardoned. That we are forgiven in him. And therefore, though sometimes we doubt that, and we struggle with that, God is saying to us, calm your fears, because you're my child. I have saved you, and I've brought you into the family, and so there is now no condemnation you are, you are safe and secure in my arms. So brothers and sisters, the story of Genesis, it begins with conflict and rivalry with the brothers. And it ends here with harmony. Uh, harmony. It ends with unity. There is peace. There is restoration. Despite the evil, despite the wickedness that was committed, God works free and full forgiveness with the brothers. And in so doing, he encourages us of his forgiveness in Christ. You see, the book ends with the brothers completely reconciled, living under the assurance of Joseph's love and of his favor over them. And it ends with an anticipation, looking ahead, as we saw last time, to Israel's future in the promised land. And what a fitting way to end this morning, to end the whole series. Brothers and sisters, 
as those in Christ, we live under the favor of God, under his love. As those in Christ, he assures us of our, of our forgiveness in him. And we look forward to that great day when we will be in the new heavens and the new earth without sin and without wickedness, where we will be united as one people redeemed by his blood and when our sin will be no more. You see, the, jo this, the story of Joseph, it ends with peace and restoration. And that's how our story will end, with peace and full restoration in God's heavenly kingdom. And so like, and like the ending of Genesis... That will not be the end, but it will be the beginning. Amen.
Let's come before God and let us pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we praise you that you speak so tenderly to us, that you speak to our hearts, and that you comfort us and assure us of your forgiveness in Christ, that there is now no condemnation because Christ has taken our condemnation on himself, that he suffered and that he died in our place. And now if God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, And will he not give us all things? Lord, if you did not spare your son, then surely you love us. Surely we are now forgiven. And that is the final word. And so, Father, please speak to our hearts. And please assure us of that. Help us to realize that this is true. Because so often we doubt it. Our hearts often struggle to believe that we are fully forgiven. It's like the brothers, sometimes we see our evil and it seems so heinous and it seems so, so far-reaching that maybe it even outreaches your grace. But Lord, you assure us that that is not the case and that where our sin is many, your mercy is more and that you are gracious to forgive us. And so Lord, help us to walk in that, to experience the freedom that comes from knowing that Lord, that we would be assured of your comfort, be assured of your love. For Lord, that is what you desire. You desire for us to be part of your household, part of your family. You don't want us to stand at a distance, to live our lives as a, at a distance from you because we, because we don't trust you. But you want us to see that you've done everything to make us part of your family, to show us your love. And so help us to live in that. Lord, we pray too that we would also realize the forgiveness that you've given to us, that our hearts would be touched by it so that we might also be able to forgive others. Lord, we live in much brokenness and much sin. And there is much, there's much brokenness in our relationships. And Lord, sometimes our hearts withhold forgiveness. We pent it up. We, we leave it because, because we're deeply hurt. And we struggle to trust you and to extend forgiveness to one another. And so, Father, we pray that you would work in us, that we would have hearts of love, a love that covers a multitude of sin, a love that, that is willing to forgive just as you willingly forgave us. Lord, ultimately teach us about yourself. Help us to know you. For, Lord, that is how we will forgive one another. Father, we also take this moment to pray for our King, King Charles. Lord, he had the, cor- the coronation to the throne. Lord, it was, there was much pomp, there was much splendor. And Father, we pray that you would please be with King Charles and his house. Lord, we ask that you would bless his reign. There would be a reign where your church is able to thrive and is able to, f- uh, to flourish. We ask that you would give him wisdom, that you would give him dignity, that you would give him integrity, and that he would be able to rule well. Lord, you command us in your word to fear God and honor the king. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, you would bless him. And we take this moment to honor him because you have commanded us to. And so we bring, before, bring him before you in prayer. We ask that you would please watch over him. For we acknowledge that ultimately, ultimately, he is under your sovereign rule. For you are king. 
His splendor was but a little, a little picture of your glory, of your splendor, of your majesty as King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, we acknowledge that ultimately the king's heart is like a river in the hand of the Lord and you, you turn it wherever you will. And so we pray that you'd please turn his heart in such a way that your church would thrive, that it would flourish, and that wickedness would be kept back. Father, we pray too in this regard also that you would, you would be with those in Sudan. Lord, there's much unrest and much conflict once again as the nation is in, in warfare. Lord, we pray that you'd please be specifically with the Christians who are there, who are suffering miserably and who are looking ahead with much fear, wondering what the future will hold for them. And Lord, we pray that you would watch over those, especially those who weren't able to flee Sudan, who are now having to live through this day by day. We pray that you'd please be with them, that you would watch over them. Lord, there is so much suffering and your saints suffer. And it comes up to the throne and it cries out singing, how long? How long? And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would preserve them, that you would hold on to them to that day when there will be no more suffering and when your kingdom will come at last in all its glory and in all its splendor. Father, we pray that you would also bless us as we give our, of our offerings. We thank you that we have opportunities to, to show our thankfulness, especially our thankfulness for the different institutions that we have set up. We thank you for Fair Haven. This is a home for our elderly to care for them and to watch over them. And Lord, we pray that you continue to bless it. Bless the administration, bless all the staff as they, as they care for our loved ones. And Lord, help us to continually be involved with that, that we would not put them in a home and leave them, but rather we would continue to display the love of God in our care for our loved ones and the elderly in our midst. And so we pray that you bless the offering. Lord, watch over us in the rest of this day of worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to give of your gifts. In Galatians 6, verse 9 to 10, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. And after the giving of the, op uh, of the offerings, the hymn will be hymn 29, verses 1 and 3. Hymn 29, verses 1 and 3.
As you go from here, receive the blessing of your trying God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.